friends. Of course, I go by the name of the kid, famous. You and now tuned into the Tim and Friends show. Hello, education, entertainment, coast to coast, ball it up, call it entertainment. Let's get this started. Uncle Tim, let's start this show in five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. This is Tim and Friends for Tuesday, April 12th, my brother's birthday. Happy birthday, Robert. I am the Tim part, you are the friends part, so are Jeff Blair, Buck Martinez, and a host of hockey dudes, Jesse, who will help us get set for a really busy night in the National Hockey League. 14 on Frozen Pond tonight, including five Canadian teams. We will get you all you need to know, as always. So while the NHL is turning down the stretch, the NBA is closing in on the wire. No, not Jimmy McNulty or Stringer Bell, but the world-famous play-in tournament. Okay. So world famous might be overstating it a wee bit, a smidgen, but pretty intriguing play-in tournament. I'm not a fan. You're not a fan? No. Clippers could do damage. They're taking on the T-Wolves in mini. Cavs and Nets meet not so far from the tragedy earlier today in Brooklyn. There'll be some added value Mm -hmm. to that. You're, You're not... There's no intrigue in the play-in tournament? Well, I'm intrigued by the matchups. I just think the whole thing is stupid. Why? Explain yourself. Because uh, currently as it stands, the Timberwolves are in the 7th seed, the Spurs are in the 10th seed, and the separation between the two of them is 12 games. Do you think that Minnesota will lose to either of the 9th or 10th seed once they lose to the Clippers because they've got a feeling they're going to lose to the Clippers? Maybe. Like, maybe. It's one game, and that's the point. Like, I just think they're, what so is then the point do of better. an 82-game season if you're going to take a team that's so 12 games sixth. ahead and let them lose? So then finish 6th. It's an arbitrary cutoff. No, point. but it's not. So is eight. Like, what are you talking about? I was around when it wasn't eight. I, 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 at some point, they did it because they wanted to avoid tanking, right? They want it to be anti-tanking rule. Correct. Just stop being so juvenile and be a professional league and figure <laughs> out a different way to do it. Are you watching baseball right now, Jesse? <laughs> we just had a lockout over this very thing, and you turn on baseball every night, and you see at least five teams that don't give a flying so bleep. It's, it's, that's bad. It's, it's an, an issue that plagues all the sports, and I understand the reasoning behind it. I just don't like it because I don't like seeing the Promotion in relegation now. in North American Bring sport. Bring it. I love that. <laughs> I love it. They'll have to go play with the Savannah Bananas. Yeah, you go, if you don't want to do this, you go play the Buffalo yes. Bisons, my friend. I'm down with that. And their upgraded park. Uh, we'll get you set for those games tonight in the NBA. I'm intrigued because I think Brooklyn and the Los Angeles Clippers, like, there's talk that Kawhi might return. Yeah. Like, those two teams could do damage out of the playing tournament. Either way, we will get you set for the games tonight. We will get you set for the games that start on Saturday, including the Raptors and Sixers series, we have gathered a pretty darn good virtual roundtable on round ball. Kenny the Jet Smith, Mark Spears, and Michael Grange for two full segments of gluten-free goodness. What happens with the Lakers? Can the Raptors win a round? Perhaps two. And finally, was Andrea Bargnani scapegoated in Toronto or just Andrea Bargnani? All that on the way, but we start as we always do. My friend and yours, even if I disagree with them on the play-in tournament. <laughs> Jesse Rubinoff, and first things first, what it do, Pop Spencer Bonsu. Oh, the legend, Pop Spencer Bonsu. Uh, okay. The legend. <laughs> the le- oh, definitely a legend. The Hard legend. worker, rebounder, big man, Miss Pop Spencer Bonsu. Listen, I get you're the Minnesota Timberwolves, but finish better. Yeah, but I, I, not everybody can do that. Right? 
there are six teams that are better than the Timberwolves. You, you didn't mention the Eastern Conference where 10 teams were separated by 10 games. It's close. The closest. I, I took the outlier for the purpose the of my The closest it's ever been since the ABA-NBA merger back when I was just a glimmer in my father's eye. But then eye. why can't the 10 seed win a couple more games during the course of an 82-game season? Because I just said there were 10 teams separated by 10 games. <laughs> I know, but that's the point. You missed out. You didn't win enough games. You're out. You're yeah, done. Yeah. Okay, we're going to the NHL. It is a busy night in the National Hockey League with 14 games on the schedule, including five Canadian teams in action. Number one pick, Owen Power, will make his NHL debut in his hometown as the Sabres visit the Toronto Maple Leafs and another former number one pick, who's on a bit of a roll. Just a wee bit of a roll. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, speaking of rolling, the Oilers have earned at least a point in seven straight games. They open a two-game road trip in Minnesota tonight, while the Flames look for their fifth straight win as they host the Kraken in the back end of a home-and-home. Home. The Alberta team's firing on all cylinders right now. And the Canucks look to keep their faint playoff hopes alive against the Golden Knights. Which of these teams needs a win the most, Timmy? I know people want me to say the answer is Vancouver, but I feel like they got to win at least four straight for me to even contemplate yeah. them being back in this hunt. Like, it might even be five straight. I think I think the team that win that needs to win the most out of those squads is the Edmonton Oilers. And here's why. Edmonton has played better of late, as you mentioned, 6-0-1. It's not just a point in seven straight. Mm-hmm. I mean, they've got six wins in those seven games, and then they took Colorado to a little extra time on the weekend. They're now 19-7-3 under Jay Woodcroft. That's the fifth-best points percentage in the NHL since he took over. But the Wild are playing better, too. And now for the Edmonton Oilers, it seems as though you're pretty damn close to locking up a playoff spot, can you beat the better teams? Can you establish the confidence that comes with playing with the best? And I thought they did that over the weekend, but close only counts in shaves, horseshoes, and hand grenades, right? Like, win the game. And I think that's a good – listen, I don't know if Cam Talbot's starting. Do you know if Cam Talbot – Cam Talbot's been very good of late. Um, Wild have been very good of late. So – now let's get wins, and let's see just how far along uh, the Edmonton Oilers are. And I'll tell you what, Jesse Pugliarvi, he's not putting up numbers, but he's helping that top line. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of talk in Edmonton about how many goals he's scored over the last little while. You look deeper at the analytics, he helps that top line. And we'll see if he plays tonight. Uh, do we have a confirmation on Talbot? Sorry, I know someone yeah. was, he's playing. Yeah, yeah he's playing. it is Cam Talbot. Yeah, yeah. makes sense. Uh, to play against this former team. How important do you think uh, home ice advantage would be for the Oilers in the first round? Because I they think it's been, a, they've been unbelievable. Well, I think, it's, I think it's more important, especially if you get Vegas. Like, don't look now, Los <laughs> Angeles, but Vegas <laughs> is right there, too. Like, they're two points behind the L.A. Kings with a game in hand. And listen, the Oilers haven't cemented the playoff spot mm-hmm. by any stretch of the imagination. Like, this could hit them in a real hurry, given where the Stars are in the Central and where the Golden Knights are four points back with the same amount of games to play as the Edmonton Oilers. So there could be some jockeying, and they just want to get into the postseason. For sure. But if you're an Edmonton Oilers fan, you know you want the Kings over the Vegas Golden Knights. <laughs> That's not even a question. The Kings are young. The Golden Knights have experience, which is hilarious because they're – 
technically <laughs> a few years removed from being an expansion team, but they, they're on a heater right now. They're, it seems like they're peaking at the right time. You want no part of them. 6-1 and one in their last seven as I looked down at my notes and find it. They take on the Canucks tonight, uh, 10 p.m. Eastern. Maybe, maybe there is some value in the fact that this is like must win yeah. for the Vancouver Canucks, and maybe uh, they can steal a game, but no Brock Besser in that one. And don't look now, but as they continue to add players back to this lineup for the Golden Knights, Mark Stone, game-time decision. He hasn't played since February 8th. What they do with the salary cap and all that stuff, yeah, you need someone smarter than me to tell you. Uh, not the classic uh, must-win for the Canucks, but kind of is the classic must. It seems like every game from here on out. No, they, they, yeah, it's all must-wins. Must you got to go on like a ridiculous yeah. heater to finish this season to even have a conversation about whether or not they'd be in the postseason. Uh, okay, you called this yesterday. I asked you about Evgeny Malkin, how many games. We played the Canada's favorite game show. You said four or five. I pushed back a little. It's four games. Evgeny Malkin, did they get it right? Listen, we all know what they're doing here, right? Like, they suspended the result. If, if Dolan had it turned into Matthew's cross-check and he gets him in the mouth mm-hmm. instead of the ear the Department of Flare Safety would have come down with a suspension like this. Like, the blood, the teeth, all of that stuff is what got Malkin suspended for four games. And, like, people try and act like the result shouldn't have anything to do with the suspension, but it absolutely positively does. If you shoot someone in real life and you miss... <laughs> it's common you don't, sense. Yeah, yeah, you don't get the sense. same suspension... Yeah. As or punishment as you would if you hit them. So, like, I think the results play a factor whether or not they should. I mean, you can argue that till you're blue in the face. This was a four-game suspension, and I'm glad he did it because I'm going to tell you right now, guys like Mark, the, the NHL is the only league that allows guys like Mark Borowiecki, and I like Mark Borowiecki. He, he serves a purpose in this league to hound and gnaw and pull and yank on. Like, the NHL has to figure out a way to just start handing out unsportsmanlike penalties to guys being dumb. Mm -hmm. And they'll never do it. You know, there are people yelling at their screen right now at me for even suggesting that. But to allow these guys who don't earn the same skill level as your stars to constantly gnaw, pull. I'm just kind of glad that Kenny Malkin turned around and he does it every once in a while. Sidney Crosby does it every once in a while. Did you see on the weekend, I'm trying to remember who hit Austin Matthews behind the net, and it probably should have been a penalty, but the referees had given a bunch of penalties. He went back in the corner and drilled them. And the entire Scotiabank Arena is chanting MVP, mm-hmm. not after his goals, but after a hit in the corner because he had finally had enough. Like, I don't know another league that doesn't do a good job at making sure that their stars are able to shine as the NHL. Yeah. The NHL almost values dudes who slow down their best players been a problem for a while a long time a really long time i'm just surprised that uh malcolm was able to find teeth to knock out from mark borvietsky because <laughs> yeah. he was missing a few already he missing, yeah, really. uh, you mentioned matthews eric shalgren playing tonight in net for the maple leafs uh, jack campbell no real update yet but he is not playing do you think that is uh smart given the circumstances i mean i hope it's load management you and i talked about this um when he was coming back from injury and peter morazic 
hurt the groin. Yep. And I said to you, like, there's a lot of things that you got to watch with Jack Campbell. You got to watch his confidence. You got to ease him back into play. Make sure you get him up to speed and don't get him hurt. Because if he's hurt, your season's over. I'm sorry. With all due respect to Eric Schalgren, you were an AHL goalie who struggled to be an AHL goalie. If yeah. they turn to Schalgren in the postseason, it's over. So if there's any Nick Bruce bump for Jack Campbell, sit him down and wait for the playoffs. Because if he's hurt, if he's not 100% or close to 100%, your season's over. And so I think this is really important for the league. And I don't know if they're – they said, I guess, load management today. Yeah. I don't know if they're hiding an injury or it's actually load management, but if it's load management, I completely and utterly agree with it. Yeah. You know, just, I, I figured they'd get him at least one more before the playoffs just to make sure he's not rusty, but if he's yeah, yeah, indeed yeah. injured, then... Then sit him down, time. right. Yeah. yeah, no, I think you get him a couple more, Yeah. but you also just play Shawgrin. Yeah, make <laughs> sure he doesn't get hurt because... That's, that's your season. Definitely. Uh, okay, we go to baseball. The Toronto Blue Jays won the opener at Yankee Stadium 3-zip last night. Alec Manoa allowed just one hit and struck out seven over six innings in a big performance. George Springer provided the offense with a two-run home run and an RBI double. And Jordan Romano set a franchise record closing out his 26th straight save opportunity. What was the most impressive part of oh, that victory? That's a tough question. <laughs> to be honest with you. Loaded, sorry. Like, do I leave Romano out of this, even though he just broke a record from one of my favorite pitchers of all time and mm-hmm. Tom Hankey, who used to stare in unlike any others, yeah. a bispectacle one? Like, That's why I, you like him. You think so? Yeah. Maybe. The link. But Alec Manoa provided exactly what they needed at the right time, and it starts to feel... Listen, the defense was incredible. Romano is worth mentioning. I think if I pinned down the most impressive it's Manoa in a spot where they kind of sort of needed it yeah six innings of one hit ball against a good Yankees team again like this isn't the first time he's done it like I don't want to I don't want to pump this guy's tires a little too much because let's not forget like he's not far removed from pitching in high a ball like this guy has just been a meteor and I don't want to anoint him as anything as of yet but he can, like, the three walks. Yeah. Right? And gets bailed out by the defense. And then all he did after, so for those who weren't watching, he walks the bases loaded. They turn a ridiculous double play to get him out of the jam. And all he does in response, which is the most impressive part of the most impressive performance, was he goes through the Yankees the third time through the line. Everyone's worried. Can't go through the lineup three times. Classic, yeah. This is modern-day baseball. Be very careful going through the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Rolled through. Yeah. Nine for nine. And to me, like that, that kind of presence and that kind of ability and that kind of perseverance to shake off. Don't forget, first outing ever was at that very stadium. DJ LeMahieu walks up to the plate, right? Yep. Four pitches, four balls. He's on first base. A lot of kids would just poop their pants and end up out of that game after maybe two-thirds of an inning. And he went six innings of one-hit ball. There's, there's something in this dude that tells me that he's got the kind 
of moxie. Yeah. The kind of intestinal fortitude that could take him far in this game. Yeah. He's got the makeup of a big-time pitcher, and you saw it last night, and you saw it in the opener in his first career start, like you said. Can't believe I quoted Gorilla Monsoon with the intestinal (laughs) fortitude. He was uh, helped out by the defense in a couple of massively critical spots. You mentioned the third inning, uh, Bo Bichette with a great play, and then Bo again factoring on the double play in the seventh inning, which was just... Sorry, just about as smooth as it gets when it comes to double plays. Espinal to Bo Bichette over to Vladdy. It was just stunning to watch for a team that has not always been known for them to see the T Oscar in the seventh as well. Uh, for a team that hasn't always been known for their defense, this is certainly a good start, you would think. Yeah, thank you for correcting me. I said they turned a double play in that third inning, and it was just Bushette yeah, going deep good. into the hole behind Chapman. Deep, yeah. Uh, and throwing out uh, Giancarlo. He's got Stanley. a cannon, Bo Bichette. Stanton's not the fastest runner, but then to turn that double play, I mean, that was poetry in motion. Uh, listen, there was a lot of good things that happened last night for the Toronto Blue Jays. We'll see if they can keep it going. Yeah. Tonight, Yusei Kikuchi makes his Jays debut, um, and we'll see if they can keep rolling here. But they're going to be fun to watch, man. They are going to be fun to watch. No question about that. Uh, Buck Martinez, who got very excited about that double play in the seventh inning, will join us a little bit later, and maybe we'll ask him about it. The NBA postseason gets underway tonight as the play-in tournaments begin with the 7-8 and eight matchups in the East. The Nets host the Cavs, and out West, the Timberwolves host the Clippers. Now, the winners of tonight's games will be the number seven seeds in the playoffs, while the losers will face the winners of the 9-10 matchups for the eighth seed. Who is the scariest team in the play-in tournament, Timmy? How many basketball fans do you think still don't know how the play-in tournament works? I saw an article on ESPN.com explaining what you need to know about the play-in tournament you like you refresh. just did. You need a refresher. Yeah. Like, even me, like you can't just go in blind and pretend like you know it because it's, it's a little bit complicated. Right. It's, it's just to make sure that the lower-seeded teams have to win two and that the higher-seeded teams have to lose two before they're out. Listen, there, there is abs- – I love – Trey Young, every year I vote for him for MVP or I bet on him mm-hmm. for MVP. The then I vote for him <laughs> on MVP and it never really works out. He's good. But like with all due respect to everybody else, the Brooklyn Nets and the LA Clippers could win their conference. Mm-hmm. And let me explain this. The Brooklyn Nets are in a playing tournament. They could be out in two games and they are currently among the favorites to win the Eastern Conference. Ponder that for a moment. It's like they're already down two games to none to any one of those other teams in the top six, and yet they're among the favorites to win the Eastern Conference. And nobody wants to see the Clippers because there are rumors out there right now, can't really, it's very Kawhi Leonard. So classic. Yeah, that he could come back. They've been really good with Paul George back in the lineup. They have dominated Minnesota, who they play tonight, with Paul George in the lineup. If he plays, they get through, then you could see Mr. Load Management himself, Kawhi Leonard, back in the playoffs, and all of a sudden this is a team that nobody wants to face too. So you've got Brooklyn on one side. Some people thought it was going to be the Lakers on the other side. Turns out it just might be the Clippers on the other side that nobody wants to play. And that's why I'm in on this play-in tournament. You can say what you want about it. There are going to be two teams that nobody wants to face. And the Brooklyn Nets are definitely one of them. Looking at it right now, plus 650 
uh, to win the title, the Nets. That puts them third in the entire league. And they've been preseason favorites. And they could be out right in two jump. games. They could be out in two games. So right. maybe be careful with the money there. <laughs> but if you believe in the Brooklyn Nets, they're the third favorite. Do you believe in the Brooklyn Nets? I think they're going to walk through the play-in. Uh, but, but then, then it gets difficult. Right. Then because it gets difficult. Because the Eastern Conference is difficult. But yeah. I'll say this, and I, I said it to you before. One through ten, separated by ten games in the Eastern Conference, that is the lowest number to separate ten teams since the ABA-NBA merger back when I wasn't even born. Still to come. Jeff Blair joins me, hour number two. Buck Martinez will join both of us from Yankee Stadium ahead of the Jays and Yanks. But up next, as that playing tournament gets to tip, we will hit you with a round ball round table. Some of the best. Kennedy Jet Smith, Mark Spears, Michael Grange will do it all next right here on Seven Friends. There's a swing and a shot. And gone! George Springer rockets a two-run shot to put the Blue Jays on top. Have you seen the Raptors? Have you Toronto's seen? Toronto's getting swept right around. Oh, 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 oh. Toronto's getting swept. Okay. I didn't pick the Sixers to lose this series either. But there is concern. They got reasons to work. Watch Phillips. He may catch it. And he did. <laughs> Out number two. Have yourself a day. That was absolutely real. I don't mean that, and emotions just got the best of me. So you actually love me? <laughs> yeah. You know what? I do. Yeah. <laughs> Still to come, Jeff Blair jumps in for the second hour. Chock full of Blue Jays talk. Little Champs League action. Some shocking surprise in the Champs League. We'll get to that, but it is the second segment on a Tuesday, which means one of two things. One... I finally thread the needle live on national television, or two, the virtual roundtable has been assembled. Thankfully for all involved, including my neck, my back, and probably both of my legs, it is indeed the latter. The roundtable has been assembled. The play-in tournament getting underway tonight. Uh, we have combed the continent far and wide to bring you the best basketball roundtable that we could. And in the immortal words of Borat Sagdiev, we have had great success starting in Atlanta where we find an NBA champion, an All-American, an Emmy Award winner from inside the NBA working high, hard to be one of his guy guys. This is Kenny the Jet Smith. What's up, Kenny? What's up, brother? How are you today? Uh, we, we are very good, and I hope my next guest is as well. To the Bay Area where Mark might not have been an All-American, but he has been an all-time Timmins citizen, an all-region player in San Jose before playing in the Olivier Saint-Jean era at San Jose State. Please help me welcome Mark Spears to the round table. What's up, Spears? What's happening? What's happening? Uh, we're good, and rounding out the group, a very serviceable guard at Mount Allison University who decided, like me, that the calling was perhaps still in the arena, just on the other side of the scorer's table. An all-star at Sportsnet, ladies and gentlemen. Here's Michael Grain. Well, I, don't get what the, I don't get what the difference is between me and Kenny Smith's bio. <laughs> yeah, just there's a smidgen of a difference, and then some you throwing know, stones. We all ended up in the same place. <laughs> we all, I'll tell you, this is no, we did because this is my first round table ever, ever here with that, sports that my first one. There we go. Just, just mind your <laughs> manners and agree with everything I say. <laughs> 
right. I'm uh, always solo with that guy. I'm always solo on yeah. this, man. So this is different. We had to break it up. We had to bring in chauffeurs uh, to the to the mix here, Kenny. And since I'm throwing stones, I was a slashing guard who wasn't good enough to play point or couldn't shoot. So I came to grips with my next career a little earlier than the rest of you fellows. Just want to be honest and forthcoming on my career. Let's start with the careers of the play-in tournament. Kenny the Jet Smith, we'll start with you. Are you a fan of the play-in tournament? 100%. Yeah. 100%. Because at the end of the year, uh, typically NBA teams, there were about seven teams in each division that stopped playing about a month out. Now there's only about three to four teams that stopped playing a month out. So anytime that I could see competitive basketball down the stretch and you see a guy like even even a guy like Luka Donich go down because he's playing in the last couple of games of the season you know that people take it seriously and um, I'd rather watch serious basketball all year than watching rec league basketball (laughs) as it got to in April a lot of times in years past I'm a fan Grange I am a fan. I think uh, also to Kenny's point, I think it's a nice reward to finish in that top six. You get, you know, five or six days off here to kind of kind of gather yourself, make sure you are healthy. That means they, the teams that are most likely to make a deep run or have that advantage of rest. And and uh, it's a nice kind of thing to, to work towards. So I think it's worked out from that point of view as well. Spearsy, there's a feeling that the Clippers and the Nets could do some damage. Are you, are you buying that you out of the play? You didn't ask me if I was a fan of it. <laughs> are you gonna Are you gonna upset the apple cart here? I didn't want to go unanimous four wide because I already said I was a fan. Are you? Gonna- I, I wasn't at first in the bubble because that meant extra days, and I kind of <laughs> felt like it was the Zion. And Kenny might agree with me. Like it was first the Zion playing, and he didn't even get in it. <laughs> so it seemed like a waste of time. But since then, it, it, it's grown to be pretty cool. And I like the NCAA tournament part of it where there's a one and done in certain in the certain aspects of it. So they're not just a one and done. Like, I was just saying, like, I think the Clippers and the Nets really have a chance to do damage. Would you agree with that, Mark? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've kind of written off Kawhi coming back. But, really? I mean, Paul George is sensational. What a huge addition this late in the season. They also got Norman Powell back as well. They're scary. Um, they certainly could could cause some damage, and and I'm curious to see where they go. If they go to seven, and they got to play Memphis, you know, uh, with, with Job Morant's knee, and, and and I don't, I guess he's okay, but um, I, I, Paul George has shown what he could be in the playoffs. So uh, there, he's certainly a scary opponent, and then Kevin Durant and. Uh, <laughs> Kyrie are capable of beating every, anybody on any given night. And if their team was fully healthy, I could see them even winning the East. Kenny, what would you do with Ben Simmons? What would I do with him if I'm the Nets? Yeah. Uh, probably, you know, I, you got to wait till he's there. The, the one thing about the Nets, everyone's like, yeah, they, they, they're a team that can win it all possibly now. <laughs> but they're not as good a team today as they were at the start of the season, thinking if they had Kyrie, James, and Right. Kevin Durant. They're not they're not as good. You know, Ben Simmons is not playing. So, you know, they're a good team. Uh, and then they have guys who really don't know their role yet. So that that would make me a little uncomfortable. But if I would I, if I was managing Ben Simmons, you know, I would manage him to play when he's ready to play, like physically, mentally, whatever it is, manage that because he's already missed the entire 
regular season. So now implementing them into a playoff structure where everybody is healthy. I don't know if Michael or Mark would agree with this. I think that could be dangerous because he could actually fall back into having that, that playoff series that he had last year. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I hear what you're saying, Kenny. I, I think if I was in their shoes, I, I'd be leaning to get him on the floor in some shape or form possible. I think um, no one's going to have great expectations that he's going to come and, you know, save a series or, or I am. them games, but <laughs> maybe next year. But I, I just think that even if, you know, this Nets team, who knows what they're going to do now, but they are still poised to do something big next year if they are healthy and they get Joe Harris back. And so I think maybe just with Ben Simmons, getting him out on the floor, let him know that he was healthy and let him know that maybe whatever it's building up in his mind is, is something he can handle. I think there could be some benefit to that. Um, but, you know, I certainly see your point as well. Kenny, is it crazy? I mean, as you were saying what you were saying, I looked at the odds in Vegas, and listen, the odds in Vegas are to get people to gamble. I understand that. <laughs> but, but the odds in Vegas have the Nets as the second favorite to win the East, and they could be out in two games. Like, it's crazy to me the confusion among the public about what the Brooklyn Nets actually are. Yeah, I mean, they're really talented two players but if both of them go for 30 let's say even 35 that's only 70 points you got to get 100 you got to get 110 where no they need they need 125 you know where are they coming from like where are they coming from and i i said this you know earlier to someone i was talking to i'm like there's five to seven ten guys in the nba that can walk into an nba arena and it really doesn't matter what what, what happens they're gonna they can make their imprint on the game then the rest of the world needs to know when they're coming in the game who they're defending how much time are they playing right. and to mentally prepare to get ready to play great those other guys need that to get them to 120 points uh Spearsy, i saw a story on espn trying to draw conclusions about the struggles in la with the lakers and Brooklyn, and suggesting that it could be the end of the super team era. Are you buying that? Oh, <laughs> well, the Warriors are still a super team, right? So, yeah. so it's not into the era there. No, they're uh, not a super team, Mark. With Steph healthy? Because they no, drafted a him? super team. We're, we're talking about super teams of like going in, get guys, right. and they trading those them. Guys. Those guys were built there. Yeah. LeBron, we're, we're LeBron about, might be oh, playing at Golden State next season. <laughs> yeah, there, you <laughs> <go>. <laughs> there you go. Hey, but could I mention this real quick, especially with Kenny being on here? Uh, man, my prayers to everybody from Kenny's hometown yeah. of Brooklyn right now. What's, what's going on there? And um, uh, I wonder, and Kenny, you've been in, that, in the NBA locker room. Uh, me and Grange has been there as reporters. Like, what mental shape is Brooklyn tonight in? I, I think yeah, they could I, be I, in I, one mo- one of two ways. Either, mm. either they're really, really motivated or they're not there. Whereas Cleveland is sitting there ready to play, probably focused, you know, uh, understanding what's going on. But I, I, I know that Nets team probably has to be kind of shooken up, understandably so by the real-life events that have taken place two miles away from their practice facility. Yeah, I, I think that when anything happens in your city, you know, a hurricane, uh, you know, tragedy like this, things of that nature, what happens, you know, being focused on that, you know, because the only thing I can associate that with the, uh, the devastation of a hurricane in the Houston area is 
you actually, once you get into the arena, it's kind of a dome, but all the way leading up to it, you're like, you're making calls. Are you okay? Is everything good? What's going to happen next? Because you have family and friends that take the subway. You know what I mean? It's not like they can avoid it. So you're like, okay, so everyone's lives are affected. And then you have people who you might have even known who knew people in that environment that were there almost uh, in, the, in the incident or wasn't it. So for sure, it affects you. But when you get into that dome of play, it becomes, a, which is crazy, it becomes a different sanctuary. Yeah. And then you actually focus in, and it does make you rally together because you have a common cause that you've been thinking about other than basketball. It almost is the beauty of sports sometimes is that it can take you away. I know it's taken me away in the past from tragedy where you're just able to play the game. So let's get back to that that idea of the super teams. Like, are, did, did L.A. and maybe whatever Brooklyn went through change the idea of that, or is that just uh, easier said than done, Mark? Uh, no, I, there'll be another one. Yeah. <laughs> there'll be there'll be other friends and, and it's it's been going on a lot longer than that i mean we could go back to when houston right when scotty and charles went there um so i i, I can't see that uh ending it'll, it'll, these because all these guys they know each other they're buddies they've been playing aau together they dream about playing together so it's just a a matter of figuring out what the next one will be but I have a question uh, for Michael. Michael, you think it's a super team or aging stars trying to hold on? Like, there's two different types. The first part is like the LeBron, um, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh. That's a super team. This was like, we trying to hold on. I mean, I hear you. I mean, I would say this. I think when, when Anthony Davis joined LeBron, that looked like it was going to be super team. It looked like the master stroke. You had two, three, whatever number of years LeBron was going to be able to give you at his peak. And then AD was supposed to carry them over the threshold. I think what you're saying, Kenny, and, and the, the issue here, Timmy, is, um, you know, you can't have a three-team team in the NBA. Like, you need a lot of good players to win, to win a title. I mean, you can – and I think the other thing is that once you get those teams together, you know, it all happens so fast – if the culture doesn't get right, if things start going a little sideways, people bail. And, um, you know, and I think I did read that article and I think the point of it, and especially living here in Toronto where they, you know, they really do preach culture here and, and they kind of have to, cause they're not getting, you know, they're not getting, you know, uh, no one's building a super team here in Toronto yet, unless the Canadians get it organized one day. But, <laughs> but um, you know, it really is about, having a, a common approach to these things and that kind of gets you through the, the tougher times and you can play maybe a little bit above your talent. Um, so I agree with Mark. I think we'll have more super teams, but what this iteration of them shows is it's not enough. Like the Lakers beyond everything else are a badly run organization. That's the real problem. And they've kind of missed on a lot of decisions. They got the big decisions, right? They screwed up all the little ones. And, you know, they're in a mess. All right, Kenny, let's, let's tie a bow on this because you and I have been talking about it all year. I know it's L.A., but is this high-quality scapegoating on Vogel and Westbrook, or is this warranted? I think it's, you know, any time that you don't make the play-in, <laughs> like, yo, wait a minute. In a 10-team. You didn't yeah. make the play-in? <laughs> not like, playoffs. Yeah. Not the play-in. <laughs> you didn't make the play-in? You can't even like, say yo, playoffs. You can't even say that, bro. Hey, 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 guys, 
everybody's up for some some criticism, man. There's nobody who can escape it <laughs> from any of the players, any of the coaching staff, any of the management. It, like that team didn't. I, the, the Spurs made the play in. Like, like, wait a minute, man. Like, wait, I don't care how many games AD missed. You didn't make the play in. That's <laughs> like, embarrassing. What? <laughs> Is that the most embarrassing team in NBA history? I think so. I, I wouldn't say. I, I mean, I mean, to go through the history of the game, but in the modern era of the last five to ten years, that is the most embarrassing thing to happen. Yeah. Like, yeah, you you gotta make the play in. People rip the Steve Nash. Dwight made the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. People rip the Dwight, Steve Nash, Kobe team, and they made the playoffs. Like it wasn't a yeah. ten-team play-in. They made the playoffs. Can mm-hmm. Nick Nurse fix them? We will discuss that, among other things. Which injury is more significant? What? Oh, sorry. That's just a tease. Can Nick Nurse fix it? Which injury is more significant, Steph or Luka? Raptors, Sixers, all coming up as the roundtable continues. Great start, fellas. Hockey Champs League Jays all coming up, but I loved when we went to break and I said, can Nick Nurse Fix the Lakers, and everyone said, what? And the eyes went, who wants first crack at the Nick Nurse to the Lakers rumors? I will offer it up for anyone to take and run with. Give it to the Canadian. Michael. (laughs) Uh, The answer is Nick Nurse would be as good a choice as any to fix the Lakers, but I just don't think it's ever going to happen. I think Nick Nurse, if there was any indication that Nick Nurse was unhappy in Toronto. He didn't have a good relationship with the front office, let alone ownership, let alone the community, let alone counter basketball, let alone his $8 million paycheck. I think any of those things you might give a little bit of credence to, but he's got two years left on a great deal in a great organization that he's only ever uh, spoke well about in a community that he's very ingrained in. So for him to kind of have to, what would happen? First of all, the Raptors aren't going to let it happen unless he really makes a stink and poisons the well, and I just can't see that. Anyone else want in on that? I mean, it, 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 he would agree a great pick, and he should go if he just wants to coach for two years. Because <laughs> that's, that's all he's going to get, being a, the next Laker coach, because after the two-year run, then they're going to go into a rebuild, possibly, and they're going to need someone who wants to be, you know, around younger talent and coach young talent up. And so he's doing that and did that already. And, you know, why would you want to do? Why would you only co- want to coach for two years? Like, I, I don't get it. I mean, there just has to be a strong attraction to saying I I coach LeBron James. You know, he, he has a championship. Uh, he's done some special things. You know, you're coaching the Canadian national team. You don't want to lose that, right? I guess. But just why? Yeah. I mean, unless I mean, obviously LeBron is the why. And he would have to be the, I mean, to me, that's the only why that you really, really want to have on your resume that you coach LeBron James. You, you can't My even... point is this, Mark. I have a question for yes, Mark and Michael. If you have a solid job and your team is like they're saying Nick Nurse, they said Doc Rivers, they, why would you leave that? Like, why would you leave? Like, you could buy a summer house in L.A. Yeah. Like, why would you do that? Why would you put yourself into that environment? That's not a great basketball environment right now. If you don't have a job and yeah. it's a good opportunity and you have a great qualifications and you want to do that, that would be the perfect scenario. 
but you you only coaching that he's how many years did he coach two and a half years three years you're not coaching more than that you yeah, know I, I mean, I and, I, and I like what the Raptors have going forward you know I like the young roster I like I like Toronto too so I mean, <laughs> but, but I mean as much I as I do in LA so we know that we can confirm is you couldn't really a, have a more polar opposite experience, right? Like like we were saying before, like the Lakers just aren't well run. There's always problems there. There's drama going up from the locker room to management. Let me say that. But there's always that pe- people that love that shiny object. They got two of them. It's LeBron and it's that Lakers uniform, man. So he, I, I don't know Nick like that to know that he's attracted to the shiny but that's what it would have to be about. And they're also, and Grange, you would know this probably better than even me and the great Kenny Smith. Is he happy? Well, that, that's what I was I mean, saying. Is there the turmoil in Toronto? Because maybe there's something behind the scenes that brings up his name that, that perhaps we're not talking about or maybe we're not privy to. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say this. It'd be a shock to me, uh, you know, just – seeing the way Nick's approached his job all year, the last three years, to the relationship he has with Bobby, the relationship, you know, the way Masai took care of all those guys. You know, he waited to get his deal done until everyone else got theirs. And it's it's a really well-owned team, and it's a really well-run team. And you talk to anyone who's been here, who's gone to other organizations as scouts, coaches, front office, you know, they go – they recognize what they got here. Yeah, without a doubt. And the other thing, the one thing that I'll add is that Nick's never had the shiny thing. Like, Nick's been a hustler the entire way, whether it's going to northern Iowa as a player, going to, you know, the Derby Rams and the, the Derby Rams in the uh, British Basketball League. Like, he's never had the shiny thing. He's always been a hustler. So I wonder if that might be the lore. But you're right, Michael. There is a culture here that he has helped build. So let's talk about that culture. And our friend Blake Murphy called this series, the Raptors Sixers series, a contrast in vibes. Star-driven against synergy-driven, overhyped versus underrated. I tend to agree. Mark Spears, how do you see this playing out? Joe B is really good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He just really seems like an unstoppable force, a shack like force with dribbling skills and the ability to shoot three. And I know the Tybo piece is really interesting in terms of him missing games, which I think will ended up pushing that series a little bit longer. But I just, they, I mean, him, James, they, uh, they got to figure out a way to get Harris better involved, but I, I don't think anybody, I don't think Toronto can stop the MB train now. Kenny? Embiid is really good. <laughs> <laughs> Two times. <laughs> Tell him again. <laughs> Embiid is really good, man. And, you know, and I, I'll say this. Boom, 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 swish. Everybody in Toronto knows what I'm talking about. If that doesn't boom, boom, and it clanks, Toronto wins in overtime. If it doesn't clank, if it doesn't clank, I'm telling you now that that Sixer organization would be a whole different environment. So I, yeah, I don't know. Do we have a boom, boom, clank or boom, boom, switch? I don't know if we have that in in, in it this year. Okay, so fellas, if if Embiid is so good, 
And let's admit, he is good. He's an MVP Why, candidate. Since yeah, 2019, so 16 games now, regular season playoffs, and against a whole iteration of Raptors lineups. We're talking Aaron Baines, Alex Len, Presa Sachua. Why is he shooting 37% against Toronto? Well, that that was then, this is now. You know? Well, no, I'm talking, Kenny, that's been the last three regular seasons on top of that. Yeah, no, I'm talking about, we, we, I, I'm, I'm on looking at it this year. He was, you know, before, you know, I, you know, Sam Cassell's a good friend of mine, obviously was a teammate. I talked to him on a regular. And the focus that he talks about when he first got there with Doc Rivers and Embiid and the way he talks about him now is like, I'm like, I told him like about two weeks ago, I said, Sam, it's like you're talking about two different guys. Like, so his focus about missing games, being in, involved, speaking up, being a leader. He would have never made comments before about Ben Simmons. He would never, he would have missed games this year that he probably wouldn't miss. He has a different focus. Yeah. So I think that's why he was 37% because he was eating grapes on a, on a damn stretching board before a game outside <laughs> in Toronto. I'm like, who does that? Like a yeah. guy who's not focused. You won't see the grapes. Uh, and and, and eating and getting a massage on the court. You won't see that. You have not seen pictures like that again. I will say this. Uh, a few games ago, he was 6-20 against a defense that just kept throwing long bodies against him, and I am going to be thrilled to see how it works out. As, wait, wait, wait. wait. One, one question for you. We're a hard out on Kenny here, Mark. We got a hard out on Kenny. James Harden averaging against him this year? Yeah, he's not got much. nothing. He's, he's only two. Nothing. But if, if he does something, that could be an X factor. Fellas, I, I will be thrilled watching it move forward. Almost as thrilled as I was having this roundtable. Thank you very much for doing this. We appreciate all man, three of you. Man, this was fun, man. This was fun. Uh, there is Michael Grange, Kenny the Jet Smith, and I Mark Spears. Hard out, kids. We got to be moving here. After the break, Jeff Blair joins me for hour number two. We'll talk Jays with Buck Martinez from Yankee Stadium. What can we can expect from Yusei Kikuchi? All that and more next in Tim and Friends. And now, time for Real Sports Talk with Tim McAuliffe and friends of the show. Thank you very much, Chief Ducks. Back here for hour number two, full hour on Sportsnet 360, which includes Jeff Blair, who will join me for the entire hour. We'll talk some Blue Jays, of course, and a little Champs League action, maybe even some national team chatter with the one Jeff Blair. We'll also be joined by... Buck Martinez from Yankee Stadium as the Jays look to make it two straight in the Bronx tonight. Plus, we'll head to the rinks ahead of a crazy busy night in the NHL. 14 games on tap, five Canadian teams in action. The Leafs will start Eric Schalgren in that as they host the Sabres. Owen Power makes his NHL debut real close to home. Senators are in Detroit to face a Wings team they beat twice earlier this month. Oilers are in Minnesota as they look to further cement their playoff spot. Flames host the Kraken after winning in Seattle on the weekend. And the Canucks try and keep their slim playoff hopes alive as they host a Golden Knights team they are chasing. We'll get reports from the rinks coming up a little later on. Tomorrow's Jets game against the Kraken has been postponed. Rest of Canada 
Listen to this, they're anticipating a severe winter storm in Winnipeg and between 30 and 50 centimeters of snow. 30 to 50 centimeters of snow, that's crazy. Wow. The game will be rescheduled for May 1st after the regular season concludes if they actually need it. But we'll talk to Jeff Blair who uh, once in a, once uh, back in the day called that home. Uh, Yusei Kikuchi will make his Jays debut as they take on the Yankees tonight in the Bronx. Yankees counter with fellow lefty Nelson Cortez Jr. He had a 290 ERA in a 93 inning season last year. You can catch the game tonight on Sportsnet Ontario. East and one starting with Blue Jay Central, 6.30 Eastern, 3.30 Pacific. Here is the lineup for the Jays. Usual top five to start. Alejandro Kirk will back up that top five. And DH in the sixth spot. Matt Chapman again in seventh. Santiago Espinal, third straight start at second base as he seems to be seizing it. And Tyler Heineman makes his Jays debut behind the plate. Last major league appearance, 2020. Charlie Montoyo saying Danny Jansen is expected to be out for several weird weeks, excuse me. Here's Montoya on Kikuchi's Blue Jays debut. Sometimes it doesn't matter how much experience you got, you're gonna feel the nerves a little bit, I would think, without just being a human being. Uh, but yes, but the experience of him being around and, and in the big leagues, it should help him for sure. But I man, he's got a great arm, you know, and he throws the ball over, he's gonna get people out, and that's what I like about him. I mean, that's, that's a pretty good arm. All right, some afternoon baseball for you. Only one in the books. That's the Red Sox and the Tigers. Here's 2021st overall pick, Spencer Torkerson. He was born in 1999, facing 42-year-old Rich Hill. Drafted earlier that same year he was born. Torkelson drops one into right field for his first career major league hit. Sparked a three-run inning for the Tigers. Top six now, 3-2. Man on for J.D. Martinez. Fires one down the line. It stays fair. Ties things at three apiece. So we would have to go to the top of the eighth. Man on, Rafael Devers. And once again, Devers, just camel clutch. My guy is Iron Sheik. Constantly camel clutch. Kilbadu bobbles it. Run scores. Devers, three hits on the day. Red Sox, five unanswered to win it. Five, three, your final improve to two and three on the young season. I'm going to talk a little bit more baseball, and I uh, couldn't think of a better guy to do it with. In fact, joining me as the co-host of Blair and Barker from 10 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sportsnet 590 Fan, or wherever you get your fine podcasts. Joining, are you okay with this, Blair? Joining me for the entire hour, Jeff Blair. What's going on? It, it was not pitched as an entire hour, <laughs> but uh, no, I'm okay with it. All right. I'm okay with it. I, All I, kidding aside, I'm okay with it. Timmy, for you, anything. Come I, on, you know that. I may have to you send something uh, to the Hamilton area uh, to, I don't know if it's a cigar or a beverage, or maybe both. <laughs> Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll cash in on this at some point. <laughs> nice we'll up. cash in on this at some point. Don't awesome. worry. So let's let's talk a little baseball here. Jay's uh, last night looking pretty good. Uh, what was your takeaway from last night in the game with several takeaways? I mean, the, <clears throat> Alec Manoa obviously has to be the focus. Um, you know, that was that was a, it was good. But I think if you talk to Alec, he would tell you that he could have been even better. He's uh, you know, trying to incorporate the change up into his game plan a little more. Uh, he had kind of a wobble in the middle of his outing when he started throwing a slider. And, I mean, he just he kept it all together. And my biggest take takeaway, look, it's great that the what, it's 9 of 11 
that the Jays have won in yeah. the Bronx. Uh, George Springer hit a home run. Santiago Espinal was, uh, you know, again, providing some offense out of the bottom of the order. My biggest takeaway was the defensive play of Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., in particular Bo Bichette. And every time I watch these two guys play, I keep thinking, man, I look back two years ago and Vladdy was too heavy. What was he going to do? He couldn't play third base. Could he play first base? Maybe he'd have to DH. Bo, was Bo Bichette ever going to be a good shortstop? Yeah. Maybe you've got to move him to second base. And then you watch a game like last night. And I think it's a reminder. And I, I know Buck Martinez, I'm sure, will address this because more than anybody else that I'm aware of, Buck was always in the corner of shut up and leave Bo Bichette at shortstop. Let him convince you that he can't play that position. It, to me, the, the 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 maturity those two kids have shown, the way their game has developed defensively is the offensive stuff is great, obviously. That's what's going to get you the headlines. But, but, man, this infield defense right now is is remarkable. And I don't think anybody saw it being this good two years ago. I really don't. Uh, his ears were burning. Buck Martinez joins us now from Yankee Stadium. Buck, who want to jump in on what Jeff Blair was saying about Bo Bichette at shortstop? Yeah, you know what, Tim? We are so quick to say what a player can't do instead of allowing him to teach us what he can do. And Bo has done that dramatically. And you know, when he got into the big leagues, he wanted to be a big league star. And, uh, you know, when it's not about the attention, it's about being the best player he can possibly be. And I think we're seeing an early version of that. And he's just 24 years old. He's just learning the league. He's just learning himself. And he's learning how to work at the position. And I think Louis Rivera deserves a lot of credit for that. And, of course, we've talked about the relationship that Bo had last year with Marcus Simeon and how that lasting relationship is going to help him down the road. But... I think now we're seeing it. Last night was a perfect example, as Jeff mentioned. Uh, he understands now you don't have to rush to make plays. There's a plenty of time there. The play he made to the backhand behind Chapman last night was outstanding. Very patient, took his time, made a good throw right on the money, and then the double play. What can you say about that? That was terrific. But we have seen that double play, and I told Louis Rivera this just a minute ago down on the bench. I said, you saw that play about 100 times this spring because they practiced that same play all spring long. Yeah, you know, Buck, it, it was interesting hearing you. It, as I said earlier, you were the guy that maybe more than anybody else that was that was talking about having patience with 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 Bo and 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 letting him convince you that that he can't play that position. I'm wondering if the addition of Matt Chapman at third base. Maybe we we tend to overlook the fact that Bo has had a lot of different partners at third base throughout his career and. It seems to me that this stabilizing influence of Matt Chapman, everybody's talking about what he's going to do for the team defensively because of his, uh, you know, the ground he covers and all that. But, Buck, I just think it's almost a bit of a security blanket for Bo as well. Yeah, it is that for sure. But uh, this process started last August. Uh, first of August, Bo started to turn things around. He worked every single day. He never took a day off right up to the last day of the season, taking ground balls before the game. But you're right, Jeff. I think 
knowing that you have a guy that can field like Matt Chapman to your right, that allows Bo to not worry so much about his backhand, knowing that he's not going to have to make a lot of those backhand plays. Now, he made a great one last night, but Matt Chapman's got such great range to either side, and the glove side is really his strength, and he's got an accurate arm. I think that Bo's going to learn how to throw as accurately as Matt Chapman. He doesn't have the same arm strength, but he can certainly learn the same mechanics and become more accurate with his throws. Made a couple of bad throws last night. Vladdy picked him up on the other end, but I think you're going to see him grow and grow as the season goes on, and I don't think there's a ceiling for Bo Bichette at shortstop. You know, it's funny. I know it's a small sample size, but is Santiago Espinal putting a bid in to become a regular <laughs> second baseman as well? I asked him that in Toronto on Sunday. I said, what are you trying to do, play every day? He said, that's the goal. <laughs> but he is really playing well. He's a terrific kid. He's a hard worker. He's a great fielder. No matter where you put him, he's a very sure-handed fielder, plays with a lot of confidence. But now he's carrying that confidence to the plate with him. And he's not doing much different. He's quieted his hands down quite a bit from last year. He told me that he only took a week off this past offseason because he didn't want to lose what he figured out last season. You know, he hit 311, same batting average as Vladdy. Obviously, he didn't have the same kind of thunder that Vladdy has. But we're seeing a little more pop in his swing right now because he's added that muscle. And now he understands he doesn't have to generate power with a bigger, wilder swing. He just has to put the same swing on the ball, and the ball's going to jump now. What did you see out of Alec Manoa last night? I saw a top rotation pitcher hmm. because, as you mentioned, there were times when he kind of wobbled, but he won't break. And he understands that. And, yeah, he walked more than he wanted to. He's incorporating the changeup very effectively. But he's in his second year. What was that, his 21st Major League start last night? And he has pitched the Yankees as tough as you can pitch him in this ballpark, 12 innings. He's given up, what, three hits against the Yankees and no runs in his two starts here at Yankee Stadium. He's going to be a very special pitcher, and he has it. He's got that knack of knowing, hey, I don't have my great stuff tonight. I might have to do something a little different, but there's no panic in his approach. He understands exactly what he is. He knows what he can do to get big leaguers out. When he's on his game, he can get anybody out. When he's not on his game, he'll figure something out, and that's what I like about Alec Manoa. Buck, there was a board, a stat board that uh, was shown during Blue Jay Central last night about his effectiveness against the heart of the order, against three, four, and five hitters last year. I mean, he's right up there with the best of the best in terms of performance against the the middle of the order. I think the actual number is like the average opponent's average against is 212. Um, I've got, I don't know, three doubles, maybe three home runs. Um, what is it about Alec Manoa's stuff or Alec Manoa's approach that allows him to be at his very best against the heart of some really, really heavy lineups. He has no fear. He absolutely has no fear. He doesn't know who's up there. He doesn't care who's up there. He knows if he executes his pitches, he's going to be effective. And you would love every pitcher to have that kind of feel because pitching is something you can dominate a hitter if you execute your pitches. We saw... Marco Estrada executed 88 and a changeup. And as long as you make your quality pitches, you don't have to throw 100. And Alec has that. And not every pitcher comes to the big leagues with that. Some of them pick it up along the way, but Alec came to the big leagues with that knack of knowing, if I make my pitches, they don't have to be 102 miles an hour. If I make quality pitches and sequence them properly, I can get anybody out. But he has no fear.
Yeah, he definitely has that moxie, that, that something about him when he steps out on that mound. And it's almost fitting that that first Major League start came in that beautiful stadium that sits behind you, Mr. Martinez. From one starter to another, uh, you've gotten a little time in and around Yusei Kikuchi. What do you make of what you've seen so far? Well, the stuff is there, Tim, and it's just a matter of refining it. He's had a little issue with his timing. He has a hesitation, and we see a lot of the pitches that come from Japan. They gather it at the top of their delivery, and they rock back and forth. We saw this with Nomo. We saw this with Matsuzaka. Shohei Otani does the same thing. And so far, Kikuchi hasn't been able to refine that hesitation at the same pace every time. So his timing is off. And when your timing is off, much like a hitter, you're not going to be able to execute your pitches consistently, and that's what they're looking for. As I've said many, many times, I think Pete Walker's the best finishing pitcher, pitching coach in the majors, and I think he's going to finish off Kikuchi. They've told him, let's forget the cutter for now. Let's master the fastball in the strike zone. Good slider, good split changeup. Forget about the cutter and use your fastball more effectively. He believes, Pete does, that Kikuchi can take a page out of Robbie Ray's book. Now, he's not going to predict he's going to win the Cy Young, but he thinks that he can use his fastball the same way that Robbie did last year and be effective. Tonight's a big start for the Blue Jays, obviously. Uh, love the shot. Buck Martinez, Yankee Stadium. You can see more of it starting at 6.30 Eastern with Blue Jays Central. Again, Jays today on Sportsnet 1. Thank you very much, Mr. Martinez. Great to be with you guys. Have a great night. Yeah, you too. There is Buck Martinez from Yankee Stadium. Jeff, we didn't even get to the Marco Ontario kid in Jordan Romano. I mean, that's Jesse and I had the most. What's the most impressive thing of the day? And I felt bad leaving Romano out because I mean, he came out of nowhere and has just kind of grabbed that closer role and run with it. Yeah, and you look at what he did last year, and he had to overhaul his his mechanics we all remember how he would have that exaggerated how he'd kind of sit almost sit down on the mound yeah. and then we found out at the end of the year that he had actually pitched through a knee injury got that taken care of in the off season and i don't think we are ever going to fully understand what jordan romano went through last year to finish the way he finished that season and I think there's still a tendency in some circles and I'll I'll put my hand up here as well there's still a tendency in some circles to wonder if when push comes to shove right can this guy be a closer from April to October going into the postseason because that is the goal for the Blue Jays and I think you almost have to take the similar approach with him that Buck took with Bo Bichette. Right. It's working now. Uh, I, th I think in, in, in Jimmy Garcia, you've got somebody who could probably pitch in some high leverage situations. I really believe that at some point this year, this front office will probably go out and add another arm with some swing and miss stuff. But let's just let Jordan Romano do what he's doing right now. Right. And cross that other bridge when we have to come to it because right now it's working and as i said I, I i think there's 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 a rush to do everything at one 
time with this team. I think we have to let some stuff play out. Figure it out. Yeah, it's Jordan still a young Randall's team. One of those things. Yeah. It's still a young team. I get you, and I'm right there with you. Bribed by decent cigars and good alcohol, Jeff Blair is sticking around. After the break, we'll check in with Jesse Fuchs, Ryan Leslie, Gene Prince Bay, and Dan Murphy. This could get really expensive for my friends. We'll go around the ranks. Jam-packed night in the NHL. Tim and friends with Jeff Blair rolls on after this short commercial interlude on Sportsnet. Tim and friends, Tim McAuliffe, Jeff Blair, and Jesse Rubinoff. Leafs hosting the Sabres tonight with storylines aplenty. Eric Schalgren starts in net with Jack Campbell being quote load managed. Austin Matthews into the night with 58 goals, looking to become the NHL's first 60-goal scorer in 10 years. And on the Sabres side, it's an NHL debut for first overall pick. Owen Powell with more. Let's go live. Scotiabank Arena, Jesse Fuchs, the other Jesse. What's going on? <laughs> Definitely the other Jesse. I'm doing well, Timmy. Now, first overall pick, certainly the theme of the evening, but let's deal with the Leafs injuries. You use the words load managed on behalf of Jack Campbell. I think that's a really good way to describe it. He skated this morning. If you're using the eye test, didn't seem to be anything wrong with him. Obviously, he's not injured enough to the point where the Leafs need felt they need to call up anybody to back up Eric Shogren's show. That should tell you pretty much what you need to know. The Leafs certainly taking a cautious approach with more than just Campbell. It applies to Jake Muzzin as well. Not 100%, not going to play tonight, but it doesn't relate to the concussion that plagued him over the last several weeks. So the Leafs are going to be cautious, and they can, of course. The playoff spot is locked up, closing in on the two-seat in the Atlantic, so the Leafs can afford to load manage their players. Now, we're going to talk a little more about Owen Power, I think, in a second. So let's deal with the other top picks. That's Austin Matthews and Rasmus Dahlin. This is the first meeting between those two since, of course, the Heritage Classic, where Austin Matthews cross-checked Dahlin in the head, got a two-game suspension. Now, I talked to both teams today. They're obviously aware of the situation. I think the Leafs are more upset about the number of points they've dropped to Buffalo this season. Now, Don Granato said Dahlin is going to go head-to-head with Matthews as much as possible, so they are going to go toe-to-toe, but I don't think Matthews needs any extra motivation for a game like this when he's closing in on potentially becoming the third guy in the last quarter century to score 60 goals in a season. Jesse, what are the Sabres expecting to see from Owen Power? Well, they're expecting him to be a regular NHL or in play like it, play like someone who was worth taking a first overall pick on. He's going to be on the second deep pairing, so they're expecting him to play 16, 18, 20 minutes. Um, you can't match Dalene up with Matthews all night long, so he is going to get a taste of two of the best players in the world in Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, and they expect him to hold his own. And it's an interesting, they've been waiting a while. You know, Kyle Opozo said this morning that, you know, they've been watching the scores of those Michigan games over the last several weeks. They've been waiting for him. They didn't want him to lose the national title, of course, but, you know, they've been waiting for him to arrive. It's a local game for him. He's from Mississauga, Ontario. Just over my shoulder is about 30 or 40 people, all with Owen Power jerseys on. They're ready to watch him, and, you know, they're expecting an NHL-caliber player right out of the gate. Uh, baptism by fire for Owen Power, not only at home, but against some of the uh, highest firepower offensive players in the league in the Toronto Maple Leafs. Jesse, thanks for your high offensive power. Meanwhile, the Flames host, not offensive, offensive, like, anyways. 
Flames host the Kraken tonight nationally on Sportsnet 360. He just he he takes it. He runs. It's four straight. They won four straight. Looking not to stumble. Calgary will also have an NHL debut. Second overall pick. Uh, Matty Beneers suits up for Seattle with more on tonight's game. Here's Ryan Leslie. Tim, the Calgary Flames back home after a successful West Coast road trip that saw them a perfect 3-0 through California, something they'd never done before. And then they capped it all off in Seattle with a win against the Kraken, the very team that they will host here at the Scotiabank Saddledome tonight. They want to remain a very difficult team to play against here at home, something they kind of feel they got away from the last time they had a home stretch in Calgary. They are seven points up over the Edmonton Oilers for top spot in the Pacific Division. They know they're going to make the playoffs. They don't know exactly when they'll clinch. It could happen this week, and they certainly don't know who they're going to play. But it's all about keeping pace and still continuing to play their brand of hockey with meaningful games coming down the stretch into that postseason. Worth keeping an eye on tonight, Johnny Gaudreau on 99 points. He was here once before in his career, and a chance tonight to crack the century mark. 100 points for the first time in his career, and the secret weapon he will have on hand, his mom Jane and his dad Guy, will be in the house tonight. They have not been here since pre-pandemic, so very much looking forward to that. All of the Flames nation keeping an eye on Johnny Gaudreau and the Calgary Flames as they come down the stretch with some meaningful games, Tim. Thank you very much, Ryan. The Oilers, as mentioned, fighting for second in the Pacific, face a very good wild team in Minnesota. You can see it regionally on Sportsnet West. 8 p.m. Eastern, 6 local in Alberta with more on that one. Let's send it to uh, Gene Prince Bay, who's part of the broadcast team just up and to the right from us. Gino. Hey, Tim, I'm right here uh, upstairs, and uh, great to be on the show with you as the Edmonton Oilers uh, get set to take on the Minnesota Wild. Uh, Edmonton coming off, uh, is it possible to have a good loss? Uh, I think it is when you're at home, when you outshoot, outchance, but don't outscore the opponent. And the opponent on Saturday night just happened to be the best team in the NHL, that being the Colorado Avalanche, eventually went to a skills competition. And the Oilers didn't win the skills competition, but I, I think they learned something about themselves and something they hope to carry into what is a two-game road trip. Uh, Thursday, they'll take on Nashville. Now, the Oilers are, are kind of in a situation where they're, they're holding on to second, likely can't get first, but want to make sure that they have that second spot in the Pacific Division so that in the opening round of the playoffs, they will have home ice advantage, sitting at 90 points, trying to add to that total tonight. And let's wish him a happy birthday. Happy birthday to Nuge, 29 years old. Do you remember 29, Tim? It was 1997, I think, or six for me. A long time ago, bud. Talk to you soon. Yeah, about the same for me, my friend. I'm not quite that old, but I'm getting up there. Thank you, Gino. Canucks in desperation mode. They host the Golden Knights tonight. You can see that seven local regionally in BC with more on that one. Dan Murphy in Vancouver. Oh, Murph. Tim, hello. It seems like I have started these hits off the same way for the last, what, four months? The math is not in the Canucks' favor, but the mere fact we're still saying that means they have not been eliminated yet. They've got nine games remaining. Winning out would give them 98 points. You would think that would guarantee a playoff spot and it might not take that much. Regardless, they'll take on a team tonight they're trying to reel in in the West, the Vegas Golden Knights. Third meeting in the last nine days between these two teams. Back on the 6th of April, the Canucks won in Vegas 5-1 without the services of Quinn Hughes. He's back in the lineup. The Canucks are still without Besser, Hoaglander, and Pearson, so it's a good thing Alex Chason has stepped up in top six minutes. Three goals, three assists in his last three games. As for Vegas, they won in this building on April the 3rd in overtime without Max Pacioretty 
or Mark Stone. Pacioretty is already back with the Golden Knights and playing, and it sure sounds like Mark Stone will return to the lineup this evening, but Vegas needing to do some salary cap gymnastics to make that happen. Tim? Yeah, without a doubt, there are going to be some flips, some triple axles trying to get that done, without a doubt. 14 in the NHL tonight. Jeff is sticking around for all of it. We've got Blue Jays Central on Sportsnet East Ontario and one coming up. Meantime, Hockey Central's on Sportsnet West and Pacific. As for us, we will continue on Sportsnet 360 with Jeff Blair and some Champs League highlights that you're going to want to see. Tim and Friends continues on Sportsnet 360 with myself, Timothy McAuliffe, Jesse Rubinoff, and Jeff Blair via remote. Jeffrey, have you ever remembered a time in this country where the game of football slash soccer has ever been so hot? Uh, no. I, and I mean, and I heard you and Principe talking about age uh, <laughs> a little earlier. Yes. And I just, you know. I was going to jump in, but I thought I'd, I'd shut up. I've been around longer than both of you, um, and I followed soccer for a long time. And no, I no, there, there's it's it's never been it's never been to this level. Um, you know, I always used to look at soccer as a sport uh, that just wasted so much, so many natural resources in Canada because yeah. every place I went, I saw kids playing soccer. My daughter played soccer. All her friends played soccer. And I, it used to bother me that there was something, there was, there was something that wasn't allowing that connection to continue. And I used to look at this thing and say, there's absolutely no reason that we can't be a really good uh, soccer country. And now, you know, now we are. I don't know what the World Cup is, is going to hold for Canada, but we're going to be a big story. A lot of people are paying attention. And the most significant thing I think about this and about the way John Herdman has positioned the Canadian team is when we host the World Cup, and I think this is really important, when we host the World Cup, we're not just going to be making up the numbers. We are not just going to be happy to be there. Yeah. We are going to have a core of players who have already competed in a World Cup and are going to be returning to their second World Cup. So. Yeah, it's um, it, it's this this sport. I don't I don't think. I mean, as excited as we are right now, Timmy, I don't think we've touched the uh, the top levels of where this sport is going in this country. I really don't. I, I'm I'm. We're gonna get to the Champs League highlights in a bit, but why don't we just keep following on this Canadian soccer because it's not just the men's program; it's the women's program, and we saw them in action last night uh, on Vancouver Island. Uh, taking on a Nigerian squad that they ended up tying 2-2. And the, the flying of the flag, as it were, like it feels like the men built on what the women had created a foundation of. And that's a like you don't see that very often in world football. No, and I think it's I think it's intriguing and it will be intriguing as we go to the World Cup that the guy who is coaching the Canadian men's team is the guy who really, who really kind of helped the Canadian women's team get to the point where Bev, Bev Priestman could take them, could take them over the top. And you know, there's, there's some similarities. I understand the men's game is different than the women's game yep. for a variety of reasons. But one of the things John Herdman was able to do with the women's program was 
create a culture around that program that could last more than a couple of years, could last more than one Olympic cycle, and was so pronounced that you started to see dual citizens and, and players who could compete for other countries really take a hard look at Canada. And we've seen that now with the men's program. And, and I am I'm really excited to see who is the next dual national that commits themselves to the Canadian men's team? Because you have to at least consider it now. Be- yeah. Because the old saw that, hey, if I if I join the Canadian men's program, I'm never going to go to the World Cup. Well, no, you're guaranteed that you're going to the next World Cup yeah. if you join the Canadian men's yeah. program. You, you know what you're not guaranteed, that, you're though? You're going to join a good team. You know what you're not guaranteed anymore, Jeff? Is playing time. Like, it used to be if you if you committed to Canada, you were going to play a ton. Like, there are guys that have committed in the last little while where there was other opportunities, and they're just, I mean, John Herdman's finding time for E.K. Ugbo to, to play because they there is some depth here as well. But there's also, and, and this, again, gets back to the way John Herdman has structured this. There will also be who will move on after this World Cup. There will be openings for other young players to come in here. And that, I, I, I mean, I keep getting back to that. That is what Canada has lacked for so long has been an ability to progress, right? right. Now you've got the Canadian Premier League. So yep. you can go from an academy, you can be identified, go yep. from an academy system to the Canadian Premier League, you can go on to MLS, or as we've seen, if you're good enough, you can go from the CPL to the national program. That's what Canada has lacked, is that next step, yes. the logical progression, and now we have it. Yeah, without a doubt. Like, I remember the Dallas Cup was this great, big, huge, it still is, one of the great, big youth tournaments in the world. And we'd have Canadian teams that would win the Dallas Cup, and then the kids would go nowhere. Like, yeah. I had friends who went down, they toured Brazil, and then when it came, you know, they went to university in the United States. Now we're even seeing guys from NCAA teams playing. Tejon Buchanan played in the NCAA. Mm-hmm. Richie Larea played in the NCAA. Kyle Laren played in the NCAA. And now was the, all three of them are plying their trades in pretty big leagues in Europe. It's a, here's one question, because I don't want to make it all sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows, Jeffrey. I, I worry a little bit about the women's program. Do they have the next steps as we're handing off from Stephanie Labbe and eventually, I don't know when, but eventually from Christine Sinclair on to the next generation? Yeah, I think they do because, look, God, every, everybody loves Christine Sinclair and anybody who spent any time around her or watched her play knows what a phenomenal, phenomenal athlete she is. But, you know, I'm I'm going to say this tactfully. She was not the reason that Canada won the gold medal. Now, she and and I don't want to take anything away from her, but they had a lot of contributors. Ashley Lawrence is a phenomenal player. They had a lot of contributors. And I think that is the thing that will probably allow the program to stay at that height. The fact that we do have that call them second tier anymore but we do have those complimentary players 
around Christine Sinclair. The so I'm not I'm not worried about it because I think that there's enough there's enough tie-in between John Herdman and Bev Priestman, and there's enough of a a brand, if you want to call it that, surrounding the Canadian women's program. Right. That I, I think, I, I just don't think there will be a drop off. I think, if anything else, we have yet to see that that next next generation of Canadian right. soccer players who maybe maybe weren't inspired by Christine Sinclair, but were inspired by a Jesse Fleming or a get back to an Ashley Lawrence or a Steph LeBay. Right. Or Janine Becky, or Jordan Hyde. As we go, as we exactly. go down the line, line, line. All right, let's get to uh, the professional brand of soccer. Champs League quarterfinals continuing today. Second leg action. And speaking of the Canadian national team and Jordan Heitema, Alfonso Davies, Bayern Munich, home to Villarreal, trailing one nil from a surprising first leg in Spain. Munich entering the second leg, down that one goal, looking to draw even first half. Not a nil, nothing. 52nd minute, though. Lewandowski. From Meccano, here's Muller, here's Lewandowski, and it's in. Robert Lewandowski for Bayern Munich. The right man in the right place. 13th and Champions League goal this season. Bayern level looks like they're going to take advantage, right? Whoa, 88th minute. That's a decent ball. Gerard Moreno, Chukwueze scores! And Villarreal surely are into the semi-finals of the Champions League. Bayern Munich absolutely stunned. Chukwueze with an absolutely brilliant left foot as he gets past Alfonso Davies and the reigning Europa League champs, Villarreal, on to the semifinals in the Champs League for the second time in their history, as shocking as they come. Other quarterfinal today featured Real Madrid and Chelsea. Real Madrid leading 3-1 on aggregate. Coming into the home leg, this one's over, right? Again, Uncle Timmy will just say, what on? 51st minute, Chelsea up 1-0. Mason Mount, corner kick, Antonio Rudiger! Chelsea level 3-3 on aggregate. 75th minute, Mateo Kovacevic. Through ball, Timo Werner. Are you kidding me? Beats Thibaut Courtois. Chelsea lead 4-3 on aggregate. 80th minute now, Luka Modric will play Canada. Delivers a beautiful ball. And guess what? Second half substitute levels the match 4-4 on aggregate. Extra time needed, 96 minute. Who else? Vinicius Jr. finds the head of Kareem Benzema. Benzema! He had a hat trick in the opening leg, his 12th of the Champs League season. Real Madrid hang on in an absolute thriller, 5-4 on aggregate. Jeff Blair, what is it about Kareem Benzema that he is able to do this repeatedly as we see tomorrow's quarterfinals, Atletico Madrid, Man City, Liverpool, and Belfica. But what is it about I Benzema? Mean, I think it's just he's he, he he's a guy who still feels he has something to prove. He's yeah. had a bit of a yep. spotty reputation in the past. And he's just, he. you know what, I think the fact that Real Madrid has 
has has gotten rid of a lot of players and some of them good but some of them kind of hangers on i think it's allowed him to take a look around and say hey i am the guy now and we've seen this all year he has been he's been a force and he's scoring goals in a way we haven't always seen kareem benzema score goals and and it's um Real is, I would never say, I would never call a Real team likable necessarily, but, <laughs> but there's something, there's something about this team that I kind of like, and I would not, I would not be upset to see them win the Champions League. And I, 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 I don't know why that is. There's just a feeling I get about this team. Maybe it's because you talked about Modric and, and he's 37, yeah, this is... and the whole thing, you know, surrounding the history of Real. But man, they are fun to watch. And, and Kareem Benzema is—he's—he's uh, he's just a machine. He's an absolute, absolute goal-scoring machine. One or the other, quickly because we're out of time. More surprised we're with Man U is right now, or that Bayern Munich just lost to Villarreal. I mean, I'm not surprised where Man U is. They're just a tire fire. I mean, they need to back up the truck and get rid of just about anybody. Uh, Aren't you a Man U fan? Yeah, I am a Man U fan. And I, at this point, I don't. At this point, the, 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 this is how bad it is. I don't care anymore. I really don't wow. care. Like, get back to me in three years, and I might start becoming interested again. Uh, as, as far as By- Bayern goes, you know, I mean, I think the Davies injury, and, and I know that he played the past couple of games, but they've had to play a lot of football without Alfonso yeah. Davies. I think that's caught up to them. And I also think at some point you can't just sort of go wire to wire in your own league without any serious competition and not have it catch up to you. And I also think, I'm going to throw this out there, I think Robert Lewandowski, I mean, he's, he's kind of done everything right now. I think he's looking at what his next step will be. So I'm not entirely Barcelona. certain that yeah, yeah, I kind of think Maybe. that's where he'll yeah. go. I don't think this is the most focused Bayern Munich team we've seen. Mm. Uh, and that's something to say about a German side. Uh, we're going to have some fun. We'll do last call with Jesse Rubinoff after our last break. Jeff, will you stick around for a little fun? Oh, sure. Why not? All right. Let's do it next. Jeffrey Blair, Jesse Rubinoff, Tim and friends. Those are my friends, I think. Hope. Tim McAuliffe, Jesse Rubinoff, and Jeff Flair combining for a little last call and a tip of the cap at the end to uh, a legend in the comedy world that we lost today. But we'll start, Jesse, uh, with some baseball. Yeah, I was going to start with some baseball and something just came across my screen. Oh, yeah, I saw uh, you kind of hedge the, there. Yeah, from yeah. the Vegas Golden Knights. This is rather interesting. Uh, if you guys want to take the computer, there's a tweet that they just sent out. And uh, the tweet reads, make sure you take some time to scan this tweet in case we bury a secret message or something like that. Mark Stone is back. There you go. Just like that. Crack the code. So it looks like Mark Stone's back. Thank you, Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, now, now crack the code on their salary cap because I can't <laughs> That's way That's way tougher. Yeah. That's way tougher. <laughs> uh, okay, it was a tough night for Philly's third baseman, Alex Bohm, on Monday. Bohm made three errors in the first three innings. And after Philly's fans sarcastically cheered after he made a successful throw to first, Bohm was caught on camera saying, I effing hate this place. <laughs> 
to his credit, he owned up to it after the game. What about this video that surfaced? Have you heard about it and seen it? Yeah, yeah, I've heard. You know, look, emotions got the best of me. You know, I said it. And do I mean it? No. And it's a frustrating night for me, obviously, you know. Made a few mistakes in the field and look, these people, these fans, they just want to win. And I mean, you heard it. We come back. They're great. And, you know, I guess I'm just I'm sorry for them. You know, I, I don't mean that. And emotion just got the best of me. So you actually love this place. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I do. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was expertly handled. But Jeff, uh, will that explanation satisfy the notoriously tough Philly fans or do they have to trade him immediately? <laughs> Well, I mean, that part of the problem with him is, is there's been kind of this soap opera around him all spring. Uh, he's had to fight for his position. I got to give a shout out to my one of my dear friends in the business, Jim Salisbury, who's the reporter that asked that question. Because that's a classic example of a reporter doing a guy in a clubhouse a solid. Yeah. Like, let him clean it up the way he wants to clean it up. I think he did a terrific job of doing that. Uh, Philadelphia fans... They probably love him even more now because he's one of them. Because that's, I mean, I think that word is on the is on the city crest, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> so I think he's he's just become a bona fide Philadelphian. Uh, I think he should show up to batting practice with a "I love this effing place" T-shirt. Yeah, yeah. has to yeah. embrace it. Yeah. Love that would it. be good. Uh, okay, great news for Raptors fans. Scotiabank Arena announced today that Jurassic Park will be open Saturday for the Raptors series opener against the Sixers. It'll be the first time Jurassic Park has been open to the public since the Raptors run to the championship way back in 2019. You have to assume the square will be open for Leafs games during the Stanley Cup playoffs as well. So, Tim, who will be spending more time there this spring? Raptors fans or Leafs fans. Ooh, wow. That's, Ooh, a, great that's a tough one. If Jack Campbell is healthy, I am going to say the Toronto Maple Leaf is, mm. and it goes against every fiber in my being because I believe the Raptors have more experience. They have more intestinal fortitude for the second time mm -hmm. of me ripping off Gorilla Monsoon. I just feel like there's something magical about the Leafs right now. And if they catch Boston, this could be the start of, their, I'm not going to say their run, but it feels very like, I'm not going to say Caps beating Pittsburgh, maybe Vancouver beating Chicago mm. finally in the postseason, and they go on a bit of a run. Yeah, I'm with you, Timmy. I think if this Leafs team wins a round, wins a round yeah. all bets are off. And I can't say that. As much as I love them, and as much as I admire what they've done, I don't think I can say that about the Raptors. Yeah, it's going to be tough in the first round for them, and then if they get through that, the second round becomes even mm -hmm. tougher. Definitely. Uh, the Leafs might get an easier draw in the second round. <laughs> yeah, that's possible too. Uh, there was a nice moment after Habs practice today during his post-practice media availability. Head coach Martin St. Louis took time to acknowledge the birthday of Pat Hickey, the longtime Habs columnist for the Montreal Gazette. Check it out. Pat, question? Birthday? Happy birthday. How many years has it been that you've been doing this? 57. 57 years? Congratulations. It's amazing. Happy birthday. Not 57 class. years old, 57 years yeah, covering yeah. the halves. That's class by uh, Martin. He was a guy that. 
he was the guy that hired me at the Montreal Gazette. Wow. A very quick story about Pat Hickey, because I asked him, we, we had we had rules about what you could accept and what you couldn't accept, right? They were actually sort of uh, guidelines. And I remember every newspaper has them. And I remember asking Pat one time, so I said, what what's the what's your rule about Contra? Like, what can I take? What can I take? He said, and he said, well, Jeff, if you can carry it away or drive it away, take it. <laughs> <laughs> and that that was that was Hickey in a nutshell. He was amazing. the perfect guy to work for. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, okay, over to some to a sad story now. Uh, comedian Gilbert Gottfried has died at the age of 67 after battling a long illness. Gottfried had one of the most recognizable voices, obviously in show business. He was also one of the most popular celebrities on Cameo, yeah. creating personalized video <laughs> messages. And Tim, you enlisted his services <laughs> to send a message to Sid. A few years back. So Let's good. Have a listen. Hi, this is Gilbert Godfrey. And this is for you, Sid, and it's from Tim. Tim says you're too loud. Uh, you know, no one likes to listen to someone who's loud. So stop being loud, Sid. Why don't you say things quietly, Sid? Stop being loud you're making people deaf by how loud you are stop being loud Sid quiet down no one wants to hear your loud talk about anything especially about sports you don't know a thing about anything and you being loud doesn't help just because you're loud doesn't mean you know anything. You don't know a damn thing, Sid. So stop being loud. It's annoying and there's no need for it. Uh, so awesome, eh, Blair? Like, I don't know if you're an Aristocrats yeah. fan, but like that dude just could make me smile by talking. Dude, he also was a mainstay of that whole celebrity roast thing. Yes. I just used to love, right? Him and Dean Martin, and Dean Martin would pretend, well, at least I think he'd pretend that he was hammered half the time. It was just so much fun. Yeah, without a doubt. I love Gilbert Godfrey, and uh, the the other one was Brady Kachuk and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Brendan Lemieux, where <laughs> yeah. someone got him. Like, this dude made more money on Cameo <laughs> than he could touring clubs. Like, yeah. it was unbelievable, like a second career. So, uh, a tip of the cap to uh, our friend Gilbert Godfrey. So who, good on Hollywood Squares. Who too. came through for, yeah, without oh, a doubt. Yes. Hollywood's Axe a mainstay. The Hollywood. Exactly. It was <laughs> a good show, underrated show. Uh, without a doubt. And I'm a big fan of, of celebrating uh, people's lives. So, I know that this is a tough day for many in and around him, but it's mm-hmm. also a day to celebrate a guy who made a smile. Jeffrey, thank you for doing this. As always, appreciate thank you doing you, Timmy. a thank whole you, hour. Guys. I got no place else to go. (laughs) Thanks, Jeff. Jeff Blair, I'm going to have to bring some alcohol and cigars to Hamilton. That does it for us. Busy night on the network. A reminder, Jays and Yankees about to get going on Sportsnet East Ontario and 1. Oilers and Wild regionally on Sportsnet West. Flames host the Kraken on 360. Canucks, Vegas regionally. Ah, You could have been anywhere in the world, but you chose to be here with us. We appreciate it. Thank you for watching, and we will talk to you again tomorrow. There's a lot of stuff there to watch.